With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Nightside with Dan Ray on WBZ, Boston's News Radio. Thank you very much, Nicole, as we begin a Tuesday night expedition of Nightside. My name is Dan Ray here every Monday through Friday night from 8 until midnight for your listening, dancing, and dining pleasure, whatever you're doing right now, or driving, that's for sure. Feel free to lock us in at 1030 on the AM dial. They said, my name's Dan Ray, Rob Brooks. After a nice vacation, he's getting back into the um, into the rhythm of it, so give him a call. Uh, not during this hour. We don't take any calls in the 8 o'clock hour. Nope, no calls in the 8 o'clock hour, because we're going to talk to uh, four individuals about News stories, various news stories, which we may not get to, or we may get to later in the broadcast, as we will with the first one. But uh, there will be uh, three hours of your opportunity for opportunity for you to call in, 9, 10, and 11, as always. And this first story tonight, we are going to carry this one over and um, open up phone lines on this at 10 p.m. tonight. Donald Trump faces a third indictment, this one, a federal indictment related to the January 6th investigation. Uh, the special counsel in this case, a fellow named Jack Smith, uh, sent what's called a target letter to um, the president's team, informing them that the president, former president, was a target of the January 6th in investigation and that he has until Thursday uh, this coming Thursday, this he received a letter on, I guess, Sunday evening, which is a weird time for a, for a letter of this magnitude to be delivered, but has until Thursday to appear before the grand jury, if he so desired. No obligation whatsoever, which would basically put the timing of an indictment probably at the earliest on Friday, at the latest, early next week. Joining me now is Suffolk University political science professor Christina Kulich, have I pronounced again? We get names. I hate getting names wrong. Think, think about, think about Calvin. It's Coolidge. Coolidge. Oh, Coolidge. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Okay, that's very nice. So you are a poli sci prof at Suffolk University. Thank you for joining us tonight. This um, is the third. Uh, indictment that the president might be facing, and I think he will be facing. Love to get your take on this. Um, do you think this is going to help him or hurt him? The last couple of times, his poll numbers have ironically gone up. It's, of course, going to help him with his base, but it's certainly not going to help him with the general electorate, which means it will help him in primaries, but not beyond that. Okay, if we're so, just talking electorally. Okay, so a long time to go between now and the primaries and even a longer time to go to the general election. Uh, I have believed for a long time that if he wants to be the nominee, he can be the nominee, but I think that he will have a very difficult time uh, being elected in, in the general election. I assume that's what you're saying to me in a different way. Yes. And I think another thing that we can look at in terms of how this helps him is with his fundraising. 
we saw with his last two indictments, and it's kind of strange to say that about a former president and uh, a current presidential wannabe, his fundraising went through the roof. Each of those things helped him in terms of popularity and people being willing to dig into their pockets and sign up for small-dollar contributions. So what do you make of this? Um, this when, when Donald Trump ran in 2016, I didn't feel he was electable, particularly after the Billy Bush tape came out in a relatively early October. But he beat those expectations. Uh, apparently, there's a lot of people in the land who feel that uh, indictments of former presidents uh, uh, are unseemly and uh, really, I guess, should not be part of the American political system. I think that's the message that a lot of people are sending. Agree or disagree? I agree that that's the message. I mean, did you listen to Ron DeSantis at his CNN interview this afternoon? He talked uh, I, about... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I heard, parts, I heard parts of it. Go ahead. Specifically to that point, he framed it in the whole weaponization thing. Like, this is part of the woke culture that is weaponizing political difference and using the instruments of state to do that, which is dangerous. It's what, what, what is dangerous, the weaponization or, or the, or no, the observation? No, that, that, that kind of rhetoric. It is mm. a-democratic. It continues to drive this narrative of us versus them, of the state, the deep state, of institutions that are out to get Donald Trump or out to get Donald Trump's supporters. Well, and that, if, that's, if, that's, if that's Ron De, Governor DeSantis's viewpoint, uh, I think it's also the viewpoint of a lot of the Republicans. I, I hear Tim Scott say the same thing. I hear Lizzie Graham say the same thing, who was critical of Donald Trump uh, in the days following January 6th. I mean, I think we have this, we no longer have a divide, we have an abyss between um, the Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives in this country, which is horrific. Um, I, for one, would love to see both of them, and I've said this on the show many times, leave the stage. They're, they're the oldest presidential candidates that, that we've ever had. They make Ronald Reagan look like a young whippersnapper. Uh, and this and we know first. that Ronald Reagan was... Yeah. <laughs> Ronald Reagan was going through Alzheimer's and dementia, so well, I mean, he some just managed. Joe Demen- some people think Joe Biden is going through it, and Reagan uh, Reagan didn't show any signs of that until very late in his second term. Professor, let's be let's be clear on that. Right, right, right. But and, and that was when he was about seventy. You that, have a that's beer when with, he was about seventy-seven right? years old, by the way. Right, right. But it's also about things that are really not material. If we are simply being logical, which, of course, politics is not, about who is best for the job, about not going down rabbit holes of insane charges. 
Well, again, Professor, those insane. they may be insane to you, but um, again, I, I think that there are people on the other side who would, who probably would, would, would say that there's some, some basis uh, in what's going on, what is going on here, and, uh, and that this is something that smacks of um, third world politics. Um, it, 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 it does, um, and that doesn't, yeah. that doesn't look good in the United States. No, it does not. If no, does we are not. to it believe the hype, right? This at is a, at a an acid when, when test the for democracy. Being challenged. Yep, go ahead. I I'm, I'm didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Well, that's the problem with phone. So I am a long-time listener, first-time caller, but it's <laughs> easier to discuss face-to-face. Well, we now do yeah. all of this uh, via phone. I try to. I think you've made your points very clearly and very strongly, and I appreciate you having joined us tonight. Uh, it will be interesting to see how this does play out. You mentioned DeSantis. I would think that this would play to DeSantis's um, benefit that if he stays um, kind of separate from the fray, that he being the second Republican, if Trump support falls apart like a house of cards, I suspect that DeSantis would probably be in a pretty good position to get the nomination and might be a more formidable Republican opponent to an 82-year-old um, Joe Biden because of his relative youth than Donald Trump might be. So, Perhaps. It, Let's it, see how it plays out. I mean, he, DeSantis is, is not in an enviable position, and his tortured responses today really highlighted that he is tiptoeing across some kind of line in the stand to try and differentiate himself and separate himself from Donald Trump while at the same time supporting him. That's hard. Well, I think, I think all of these folks have to deal with that. That's for sure. Professor, I'm flat out of time. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I'd love to have you on for a full hour and get some phone callers in and really have some fun with this. So um, let's let's uh, at least pencil us that would in be great. calendar for a return to Nightside. Thank you, Professor. Appreciate okay. it very much. Pris- Professor Thanks so much, Christina Dan. Have a- Coolidge. Thanks. Thanks so much. A- we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Uh, A phrase called concrete jungles, meaning that too many American cities have too much concrete and too few trees. We're going to talk with Joe Pinnell, the Vice President of Urban Policy for American Forests. Interesting issue back on Nightside right after this. It's Nightside with Dan Ray on WBZ, Boston's news radio. Well, we are in the middle of summer and things are heating up both here uh, and around the United States. We've seen all of the uh, the heat records that have been set in different parts of the country, including New England. With us now is Joel Pinnell. He's the Vice President of Urban Policy for American Forests. And he believes, his group believes, that the key to maybe making our urban areas a little more comfortable and livable is to plant trees. Joel Pinnell, welcome to Nightside. How are you? I'm doing well, Dan. Thanks for having me on. So how many trees are we talking about here? There's, there is some money uh, that the federal government has set aside for what's called urban forestry, but what are we talking about here? Uh, so, so at a national scale, American Forest has developed something called the Tree Equity Score, 
and pretty much every uh, neighborhood in the metropolitan and any major metropolitan area in the U.S. can see how they're doing in terms of equitably providing tree cover to their residents. And in terms of how many trees we would need to achieve, uh, tree equity is the term that we use, uh, we would be looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of like 500 million trees across the country. Uh, so we're, uh, we're talking about a lot of trees, but I think the, the thing that we like to focus on is where are the areas that need trees the most, that can benefit the most, um, with the, the greatest health, economic, uh, climate resilience benefits. And this tool and other things that we've worked on really provide a map to, to do that. It makes sense when you think about it, because if you're talking about some of the hottest parts of the country, uh, you know, the desert southwest, I read a statistic recently. I'm not sure if it's true, and, and maybe you can tell me, and, or maybe you, you don't know. Um, I read a statistic that said there are three trillion trees in the world. Is that number a reasonable number? You, you probably know more about this than I do. <laughs> yes, I think um, uh, I, I don't have the math in front of me, but I think that number is, uh, uh, and we've lost substantial trees due to development, obviously, over the centuries. Um, but uh, I think we're in the neighborhood of uh, like three to four trillion trees worldwide. And, you know, we've seen bipartisan support the last administration. I heard you just talking about presidential politics, but, you know, the last administration, uh, which is some would not view as the most environmentally friendly uh, administration, but they committed to a trillion trees uh, worldwide. And so um, if that is the number, um, you know, that is we, we still have so many more trees uh, that are needed across the country and across globally. Now, as I understand it, uh, Congress and, and the current president has also, have also made a commitment uh, to um, more trees in America. Uh, and um, I, I understand that there's, what, a, a billion and a half dollars um, of monies available. How do, how do communities get hands on that money to plant trees? Yeah, so the Inflation Reduction Act that passed last August, um, and many people um, accurately, I think, describe it as the greatest climate investment um, that this country or really any country has ever made, um, contained $1.5 billion for the U.S. Forest Service's Urban and Community Forestry Program. Um, that's a program that's been around for over 30 years. Uh, it's typically, typically Congress appropriates about $35 million, give or take, to that annually. And so the Inflation Reduction Act contained $1.5 billion as a one-time injection, uh, really to meet the need um, of extreme heat and other challenges that the lack of trees uh, is presenting to us. And so, how many trees then would that plant across America in you know, urban areas that, that are in the most dire need of trees? What's, what's that going to mean in terms yeah. of trees? Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Yes, I, I think that's going to pre pre uh, present the opportunity to plant uh, 
tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even a million trees. You know, I, I actually don't always look at it in terms of planting trees. Many areas, their, their greatest need is to protect existing canopy, to maintain trees that they already have, to make sure, you know, you're going to get the greatest heat resilience and climate benefit from mature trees. So, uh, yeah, you know, they say the best time sure. to plant a tree was yesterday. Yes, <laughs> the next best that. time is today. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yes, yeah, so it is going to provide tremendous resources that are going to be leveraged with, you know, private non-federal dollars as well. Um, and it's going to get a lot of trees in the ground, but it's also going to do a lot of the things that we need to do that are associated with tree planting in terms of, you know, identifying the right species. Uh, because of a warming temperature and climate change and other factors, you know, the trees that were thriving in certain areas 30, 40 years ago are now more susceptible to, to drought, to wildfire, to uh, invasive species. And so we really need to look at what trees are we planting, what's going to maximize and be optimal for human health, for climate resilience, um, for the shade and other benefits that we get from trees. And so it's going, to, it's going to put a lot of trees in the ground, but it's also going to do a lot of that other critical work um, that goes into to, to maintaining, building and maintaining healthy, equitable tree canopy across across cities, across neighborhoods, across regions and jurisdictions. Okay, so if this money became available sometime last summer, um, the timing, I guess, is right. When are we going to start to see some of these some of these trees being planted? Because I'm unaware that that any of the the, the, the shovels have been in the ground have gone in the ground yet, or or this underway quietly. Yeah. So the Forest Service uh, actually had an open um, RFP that closed June one. They're expecting to make decisions on those awards uh, at the end of the summer. And so it is moving pretty quickly. You think about, you know, a program, again, that has typically got about $30, $40 million a year, uh, got $1.5 billion. And so you can imagine some of the challenges in terms of just logistically getting that money out the door. But they have um, moved very, very quickly uh, to not to open that RFP. Again, those applications were due June 1. Uh, there are a number of entities. Yep. A lot yeah, of times yeah, when people sorry, yeah. throw acronyms out there, my, I want to make sure my audience knows it's called a request for proposal. Yes, and yes, being in D.C., everything has an acronym, so thank oh, you for that. Does. But, of course it does. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so though we will see that, that money getting out the door. Um, those awards announced in the summer. Um, I, know, I believe they got over $6 billion of requests for funding, um, and they, they put a billion of that billion point five out on the street. And so states already received some money. There will be some additional money that they'll probably put out in a future funding announcement. But a billion dollars will be announced. Um, we're expecting sometime uh, mid to late next month. Uh, this money will start to get out the door and communities can start to make those investments. Well, you know, Joel, uh, just a final comment. I remember historically, I wasn't alive at the time, but I remember reading about the Civilian Conservation Corps, another acronym, the CCC, <laughs> and the WPA from um, uh, the 1930s. And those were tremendous programs, and they moved a heck of a little more quickly than I think money moves out of Washington now. So anything you can do to move it along, you let us know. And I appreciate your time. <laughs> Uh, spending some some of your time with us on this Tuesday night, Joel Pennell, Vice President of the Urban Policy for American Forest. You got a website we can send people to if they're interested? Absolutely. Uh, check out treeequityscore.org. Um, and that is where, again, if you're in any me uh, metropolitan area in the country where over 80% of us live, type in your city, you can get down to the, the census block neighborhood scale, see how your tree canopy measures up with uh, other surrounding communities in your neighborhood and how that compares to income, heat surface. Uh, and you, and you and, also and have a, um, 
you also have a website called AmericanForest.org. People could also go there uh, as well. Great. Joel, thank you very Absolutely. much. I appreciate all of the information, a lot of, lot of important information. Appreciate the time tonight. When we come back, right after the news at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be talking with Dr. David Hemmer. Uh, about global health. He's a professor of global health at Boston University School of Medicine and talking about a potential outbreak of, of all things, malaria. Back on Nightside right after the news. Nightside with Dan Ray on WBZ, Boston's News Radio. Welcome back, everyone. And we are delighted to be joined by Dr. David Hamer. Mispronounced Dr. Hamer's name. I apologize for that, Dr. Hamer. He's a professor of <laughs> okay. health at Boston University School of Medicine, and he's going to um, talk about a, something of a malaria outbreak. I thought malaria was something that, that we had gotten rid of a few decades ago, or did I miss something? <laughs> Go right ahead. No, you're, you're right, Dan. I mean, we, 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 had, we have had malaria in the United States. In fact, you, you go back to the time the pilgrims arrived, uh, malaria was here. We said a disease very similar to it. But in the 20th century, we eliminated it through a combination of screen windows and treating people that were infected. And, but during that, since then, we still have the right mosquitoes that can transmit it. It's just we don't have people are infected with it, and we have good control measures. But sporadically, we've had reintroduction of people who are infected, and that leads to um, a local outbreak, but that's been very rare. Um, in fact, the last one was 20 years ago, but now we have, uh, actually, until today, there were six cases, but just today they announced the seventh case of malaria in uh, Florida, in Sarasota County, and then there's been one in Texas. They appear to be unrelated, but mm. but the, the right mosquitoes are there, and if you have an introduction of the parasite um, through somebody, a human who's infected, then the mosquitoes can bite them, and then they can go on and bite another human and transmit the infection. So let me go back for Malaria 101, and I can't think of anyone better to talk to about this than you. <laughs> um, is malaria... My dad, during World War II, um, was in the, the um, China-Burma in India, a theater, uh, and he was a bacteriologist, uh, and he was with a malaria survey unit. And I can remember all the conversations about malaria in, uh, in China-Burma and India during World War II. Um, is that a disease that, that incapacitates people, or is it a disease that can kill people? Uh, it's a disease that can make people really sick, and it can also kill people. And and there, I mean, there there are, I mean, really technically four, although really probably five different spe strains or species of the of the parasite that cause malaria, and one of them in particular is really dangerous. If you get it, you can progress in just a day or two to to a, a, a state where your body organs are failing. Um, the, the 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 strain circulating in Florida and Texas is a milder form, although it can still make people really sick. Sure. Okay. So, um, is it contagious? Meaning, if your next door neighbor happens to be bitten by the right mosquito, and it, it, it can can that be? It can only be be passed to a human from a mosquito bite. Correct. Yeah, and that, exactly. That, that's right. I mean, it has to go from. Mosquito takes a blood meal, I and mean, it's really the female mosquito is, is taking a meal to feed her her sort of baby mosquitoes. 
Um, and then if she picks it up, then it takes a few days to develop in, inside her. Then when she goes and feeds on another human, then she can transmit the parasite to another human. So you, I mean, there are some other ways that this happens. I mean, you can have a transfusion-related complication sure. that's very rare because you screen the blood and the needle stick and so forth. But really the main way is by a bite of an infected mosquito. Now, are there parts of the world to this day that are still hotbeds for malaria, and I'm I'm thinking about you know parts of the world where the where they don't get a, a winter freeze or I mean I'm assuming oh yeah I mean more I mean, common I mean, below the equator than it would be up in in the Scandinavian absolutely I mean the, you know the biggest risk is really sub-Saharan Africa especially West Africa um, there there we've been trying for years trying control disease there and and we've made a lot of gains, although in the last couple of years, because of the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, we've lost some ground. Um, but the highest risk, you know, probably 90% of the cases in the world occur in sub-Saharan Africa. But that said, there's also a, a fair amount in South America, Central America, a little bit in the Caribbean, and then a moderate amount in South Asia and Southeast Asia. So how then are these mosquitoes? It sounds to me, um, some people might say, oh, you got people coming over the border from Venezuela and, and Haiti and Colombia and places like that. They're not bringing the disease with them, per se, and I assume they're not bringing the mosquitoes with them. How are the mosquitoes relocating to Florida and Texas? How's that happening, and why is well, it the happening mosquitoes, the mosquitoes live in, The mosquitoes live in Florida and Texas. There, right. there are different, slightly different species of mosquitoes right. than you might find in, like, you know, West Africa and Cameroon or Nigeria, but but there are mosquitoes that are capable of picking up the malaria parasite, having it develop within the mosquito and transmitting it. In order for it to really spread, you need infected humans yeah. um, as well as the right mosquito. And so, we so, eliminated- so we, what, I'm trying, what I'm trying to get is the, the individuals, and I'm, I'm doing this as basic as I can because science wasn't my strength, but you're telling me that, that it's not transmittable from human to human. It has to be transmitted by mosquitoes. So that means these six or Correct. seven cases in Florida and Texas, a mosquito, a mosquito somehow drew the blood which was infected with malaria from someone and then transferred that dose to some people in Florida uh, or Texas, right? Is that the way it exactly. would have come? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, 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 you know, it could have been a returning traveler who was infected. It could have been a recent migrant. I mean, we don't know. Um, but if somebody who was carrying the malaria parasite in their system and had enough of the parasite that the mosquito bit them, picked it up, gotcha. developed the mosquito, and then they started to spread a little bit. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just a little bit. We have such good public health surveillance systems in the U.S. that, that we catch these things quickly and then snuff them out. But, but that said, you know, with, with climate change and some of the sort of warming patterns and, and more rainfall and so forth, yeah. the risk of mosquito-borne diseases because we have the right mosquitoes all the way up to Massachusetts is great. So last, last question, what can be done now to keep the cases isolated to these six or seven patients? Do we isolate them um, and make sure they're in a room where, where mosquitoes can't get them and let the malaria work through their system or treat it with quinine or whatever else you, you would treat malaria with? And then once they're healthy, reintroduce them into the population. Is there a quarantine? quarantine? Uh, yeah, uh, no, quarantine. Malaria is so easy compared to, like, 
COVID. Um, yeah. With malaria, like two days of treatment and the patients no longer, no longer have enough parasite in their blood. In fact, often after one day of really effective treatment, okay. and we have a lot of good treatments, then they, they're shedding so little parasite that a mosquito can't um, you know, transmit it. It's really a matter of finding them. And, and, and doctors and other healthcare providers sort of thinking about this thing, oh, there's malaria in my area. I've got to think about it. I've got to do a test for it. Then we have some really good tests for it also, although they're not always routinely done. But you have to think about it. And then, and then the treatment is, is really effective, and, and that can eliminate the risk of onward transmission. We have, we're familiar up here with Triple E, with West Nile virus, and it seems like every um, August, just as Christmas comes in December, every August, there'll be a story on the local television news. And I can remember when I was a TV reporter going out, and they'll say that there was West Nile virus found in this community. And I'm standing there doing a live shot at 5 o'clock in the morning with mosquitoes buzzing around my head, uh, which seemed to me to be a little, you know, inappropriate, but I did what I had to do. Um, are there people out, do you think, now in Texas, um, people who are, are trapping mosquitoes and trying to see how much of the mosquito population has, what percentage of the mosquito population is carrying malaria? Oh, yeah, yeah, that is definitely happening in both Texas and Florida. In fact, the little bulletin I got tonight said 130 mosquitoes in Sarasota were, were trapped and only three were positive for the malaria parasite, but we want to have zero positive. Yeah, that's three, three that out of 130, that's 2%. Two, that's two I was good at math. That's 2%. Two, two exactly. And there's a hell of a lot of mosquitoes in Sarasota, Florida. <laughs> right, right. You you have some serious occupational hazard with your previous work. I mean, if if you you know eastern equine encephalitis is a really dangerous disease. It 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 can kill you know about a third of people or more if they get it. Um, And whereas with malaria, yeah, people can die from it, but. We have treatments for malaria. We have no treatments for Eastern Equine. Well, talking about Tripoli, I'm telling you the truth. When I was a TV reporter, Chinafor, particularly working the morning shift, they would say, oh, they found, you know, Tripoli in in Raynham. We're going to have you do a live shot near a swamp in Raynham. (laughs) I'm serious. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's some jobs that are safer than others. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Look, Dr. David uh, Hamer, thank you very much. I enjoyed uh, the... Uh, the sense of humor that you have about a very serious subject and we'd love to keep you um, in our cycle of guests here as we do this um, maybe if we get you in every you know couple of months or so or whenever something comes up and if if malaria breaks out for real we, i want to have you back like next week okay oh yeah absolutely i mean i i, I know lots about malaria i'm sure you do i'm sure i think we do. got it pretty under control but anyways great to talk to you well, great to talk to you because we talked about a serious subject and you didn't scare people, which is really good. And uh, and you were so good. You're a great communicator. And I and take that as a compliment. Thank you so much, Dr. David Hamer of the uh, Global Health. He's a professor of global health at BU School of Medicine. When we come back, we're going to talk about another issue, and that is a spike in ment- child mental health visits to emergency rooms. We'll be back with all of that, and we'll wrap up this hour of the Nightside News Update right after the break. You're on Nightside with Dan Ray on WBZ, Boston's News Radio. All right, our fourth and final guest tonight on our Nightside News Update during the 8 o'clock hour, and again, no phone calls. We will be talking uh, at 10 o'clock tonight 
about the now impending second federal indictment of former President Donald Trump. We will talk about that at 10. We'll talk with uh, Jim Pizer, former Secretary of Education here in Massachusetts, about a push to eliminate the, mem the MCAS tests uh, for high school students. Uh, we'll talk about that. But right now, we're going to talk with Dr. Nick Carson. Uh, Dr. Carson is the Division Chief of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at Cambridge Health Alliance. And Dr. Carson, welcome to Nightside. As I understand it, there's been a bit of a spike in child mental health visits to emergency rooms. What's going on? Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me on tonight. Um, You're very welcome. Thank you for pleasure and honor to speak about this. That's right. Yes, um, we're talking about a paper that was published recently by a colleague of mine that looked at a data set of about 4 million um, youth who are covered by commercial insurance, and they looked at the presentations to emergency departments for mental health crises. And that's right. They found a really concerning increase in the rate of emergency treatment for kids with mental health crises in the second year of the pandemic, so March of uh, 2021 um, through 2022, when compared to uh, 2019 to 2020. Okay, mental health crises, that's a big umbrella, I think. Uh, wh what type of diagnoses are fit under that umbrella? Well, um, un unfortunately, one of the, the main issues that they found increasing were concerns of uh, thoughts of uh, or behaviors related to harming themselves. So suicidal thinking, suicide attempts, other kinds of self-injury, those in particular showed an increase, and, uh, and especially among adolescent girls. Okay, so, um, so there must be some correlation here. I mean, we know that adolescents... It's a tough period in anyone's life. Uh, you're, you're moving from being a child uh, through the teen years into adulthood, and there's a lot of uh, changes that are taking place, and hormonally and and, and otherwise. And uh, so, they if they related it to the second year of um, COVID, which again, you're right, March tw March of 2021 to March of 2022 is exactly the second year because it arrived in this country really February March. It kind of hit New England. What's the deal? Is is this is just that that after the second year people could handle things the first year, but after a while they just got worn down, or is there something more specific? I, I think getting worn down is a is a, a big part of it. In that in that first year, twenty twenty through twenty twenty one, on the front lines of uh, of mental health treatment at, at places like like Cambridge Health Alliance, we saw a big drop in families that were trying to get into mental health care. Nobody wanted to come to the emergency department. Everybody was trying to stay safe and stay out of the hospital. Yeah. Kids were at home from school. And, um, and then as the students slowly came back to school and, and that um, isolation, I think, just started to wear down on the ability of, uh, of youth to cope. And, um, and as a result, you get different, different effects of that stress. One of the effects is, is probably the increase in in suicidal thinking and behaviors that they saw. Another finding that the paper showed was a real uh, jump in the rates of eating disorder presentations that were showing up in emergency departments. So these are, these are probably just manifestations of, of kids who are living in homes where there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of people who lost family members to COVID. They lost family members who lost their jobs. They're away from their friends. They're away from their teachers. They don't have that same kind of social support. And, um, and I think by, 
by 2021, 2022, it, it had just really crested. And, um, and, and I think there's also been an, an improvement in the openness about mental health and, yeah. uh, and there's been a decrease in stigma. So, so that, that results in a, a huge demand on uh, a, an already very strained mental health system. So, so the latest year, the year that, that this study is concerned about, uh, is March of 2021 to March of 2022. So that's now over 16 months ago. Has there been any study uh, done on the the third year of COVID, if you will, or the, the third year that, that COVID has at least had a presence, uh, meaning March of 2022 to March of this year, or are those statistics still being compiled? That's a great question. So this paper just came out about a week ago, and um, and it's using what we consider really up-to-date data. So it, it, it unfortunately takes a while for yeah. for good uh, uh, epidemiological data on uh, on the country's mental health to get released. So um, if you'll have me on next year, I'm sure there'll be uh, great new research to to, to try track the changes in these trends. No, you 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 like uh, like Dr. Hamer were a great communicators, and whenever I find people in the medical field uh, who are great communicators, it's very important because it's 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 not an easy task for you to reduce to five or six minutes uh, a study that I'm sure took you hours, if not days, to digest because some of these studies are really. Uh, intense uh, and so I appreciate the clarity that you brought to this do you think that there's any magic pill and I guess I shouldn't use that as an example but is there any quick fix to the mental health problems that we face in this country let me just play devil's advocate for one second with you doctor and that is that if if kids who are suffering from these crises uh, were taken into a room and said hey look Here's what you have. You have all of these devices. You have all of these conveniences. You have indoor plumbing. You have a food. Compare yourself to kids your age or the rest of the world. Yeah, we got it pretty good. That's obviously is not going to penetrate a kid who's having a crisis. But do you think that we should talk more about that as a society for our kids to understand that we're all kind of blessed? Uh, whatever we think of Joe Biden or Donald Trump, we're all kind of blessed to be born in this country. Yeah, that's very true. We we benefit from a lot of um, of riches and advantages. Um, that's true. And um, and screen time that that you mentioned um, has got to be part of this. I I think that um, they had no choice uh, but to go on screens for much of that initial part of COVID. That's how they were learning. And um, and we know that there's there's good research out there that has raised concerns about the impact of self-esteem and self-image and social skills for kids who who spend a lot of time on social media and and screens. So um, so there's a role in making in getting kids back in person and allowing them the chance to to have uh, less time on screens, more time with each other in person, more time for activities, more time for in-person learning. And, um, and, and that, time, that relative to, to appreciate where, where, where they live <laughs> and to appreciate where they live. Yeah. 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 Dr. Carson, I, Dr. Say, Dr. Um, Carson I thank you so much. I'm flat out of time, but we will have you back. If you'd be kind enough to return, uh, you've been a great guest. I thank you so much. Thanks so much for giving this uh, important uh, topic some attention.
We'll, we'll give it more attention. Maybe we'll do it in a longer form as well. I've, so don't be surprised if I recommend that to the producer. Thank you so much, Dr. Nick Carson. Happy to. Thank Jesus you very much. Child and adolescent Psychiatry at Cambridge Health Alliance. Thanks again. When we come back, open up those phone lines. Uh, we are going to talk about the MCAS test in Massachusetts, and should they be eliminated? I don't think so. I don't think my guest does either, but we'll have a good conversation. Coming back right after the 9 o'clock news. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.